And don't forget, you can donate securely at www.kpfa.org. Thank you. And you're listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book. I'm your host today, Javelin Richards of Javelin's Bistro. I will be with you every third Friday searching for emotional intelligence and human consciousness in the arts. My guest today is Erica Lutz. And she is a writer and has her first novel and the second half of the show, Susan Lyroff. Uh, will be with us. She's a visual artist. So, Erica's first novel, The Edge of Maybe. Erica. Thank you. Thank you, and welcome to the show. So, if you could give an overview of what this book is about. Well, I think it's a family drama. Mm -hmm. I think it's about an a uh, somewhat unconventional family that lives in the San Francisco Bay Area whose very tidy, progressive life is suddenly disrupted when a maybe relative arrives on the doorstep. And without notice? Without notice. So suddenly just basically appears. You have a, uh, a husband, Adam, the wife is Kira, their 13-year-old daughter, Polly. They live in Oakland and uh, have a, you know, as I say, a very kind of progressive, uh, middle-class white life, which mm -hmm. is um, filled with organic food and private schools. And Kira and Polly arrive home one day and sitting on the doorstep is a woman uh, in her mid-twenties with a small disabled child and the woman is calling Adam dad. Is calling Adam the husband dad and so this green life yoga this is the Bay Area this is yeah I'm from Wisconsin this is the Bay Area. This is the Bay Area. Okay so I started reading the book and I was it was very it's fascinating in terms of the characters when you and I first talked I was looking for emotional intelligence inside of art this is my commitment to myself first and foremost and to my audience share with me how you are able to bring the intelligence, the emotional intelligence of the characters into the book, The Edge of Maybe. I think that it's a mistake to try and create a character from the outside in. Okay. And so the way you can get to emotional intelligence or strong character development in any way is to really inhabit the characters as a writer. So I'm as I write this book, I was inhabiting Adam, who okay. is a man, and a 13-year-old girl, and then a woman who is a, uh, perhaps from the outside might look a little like me. Okay. In other words, a, a, a middle-aged uh, woman who is uh, involved in 
Yoga? Uh, well, not so much, but okay. uh, I certainly have taken my share of yoga classes. Okay, I could yeah. tell when I first met you, I thought this woman works out. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Kudos to you. And so, yes. So now, one of the characters I was really drawn to is this 20-some-year-old maybe relative who shows up at the door. She's a pretty big woman. Yes, Amber. Amber. Amber grew up in eastern Nevada. Okay. Uh, in the town of, or city, really, of Elko. Um, she has uh, served time for uh, drug smuggling. Yes. She has two children, um, and she's 25 years old. Mm-hmm. The first child she had as a teenager. And she's not very well educated. Um, she And, yeah, she's overweight. She eats a lot of junk food and um, doesn't really take care of herself very much. Um, when we first meet her, we're meeting her through the perspective of the other characters. We mm-hmm. see we meet her through Kira's point of view, mm-hmm. the mother's, and through Adam's point of view, and through Polly's point of view. And they initially have a lot of judgments about her. Why did they open the door? I was curious. Here's someone who says, uh, you know, I'm here and I could be a relative. I could be your husband's daughter from another woman. Why did the wife really open the door? Was it from her heart or was it because that's what you do when you're white, middle class, yoga, green? I think there's a lot of liberal guilt that okay. was going into that. When you have some... And, and perhaps just some general humanity. Kira is not a, a bad person. She wants to do well um, by everybody. She, she has certain values. She may not be inhabiting those values at the beginning of the book um, deeply in her heart, but mm-hmm. she at least is, uh, understands that if somebody arrives on your doorstep with no shoes and a, a small disabled child and asks, can I please come in? We don't have any food or any money. You invite them in. And especially because she might be her husband's child. So there's some sense of family, maybe. Okay. Why don't you read us an excerpt from uh, the novel? Well, I'll read you very briefly the very beginning of the novel. Okay. Because that's where we step right into the scene that we've just described. Okay. There were strangers on the porch of their Oakland, California bungalow. A young woman in pink sweats and a small boy in dirty blue pajamas. They waited as Kira and Polly walked from the car to the house. Kira balancing groceries, purse, phone, keys. Polly wearing a backpack too large for her thin 13-year-old frame. The woman sat on the top step, thick-bodied and barefoot. She rested her bandaged right ankle on a dingy canvas bag. The little boy crouched by the redwood planter, breaking Kira's dendroidium succulent. He held each section between tiny thumb and forefinger. Snap. Now also, this little boy, he doesn't close his eyes because he has an eye disease, if I, if I had read that correctly. He has a condition. A it's condition. not fully um, described or diagnosed, right. but he's unable to close his eyes, which becomes somewhat metaphorical throughout right. the book. Uh, the, there are questions all the way through of what do you see, what do you close your eyes to, what do you want to see, what do you not want to see, and the various characters react to that 
issue in various in ways. In various ways, like the wife wants to use organic products to support him and suggest it to his mom, and she sort of shrugs that off, and she has her own, uh, his mom has her own way of dealing with it. You as a writer, what was your motivation to write this novel? I feel like there were a lot of different things that went into the stew here. And I I was concerned with, I wanted to look at marriage, at what marriage really is, and what long-term marriage really, really looks like. Okay. Having, I was in a very long-term marriage, and so we write about the things that, we're concerned about and that we're interested in at the time. And particularly since relationships are changing in the 21st century, yes. we're starting to examine what marriage looked like then and what marriage looks like now. And I like that you went back over years of a marriage that resembles like maybe the latter part of the 20th century where, and particularly California ways and progressive and liberal, and you're sort of examining that now through this novel. So you have to tell us about that for you. You were married a long time yourself. I was married a long time myself. Um, my marriage ended the way that marriages are technically supposed to end, which is my husband died, so till death do us part. Um, so uh, the this book was not a, this book is not about my marriage. Okay. It's it's but it of course borrows from my um, my history and my experience of what that's like to be in a very long-term relationship. Okay. And uh, I have a, a child and I have stepkids and I'm, I'm very interested in all different ways we define family, both within that kind of heterosexual standard couple and outside. Um, I'm interested in just the various ways. How do we do this? How do we have, how do we live now and how do we live here. Mm-hmm. I based the book in Oakland for a, a couple of reasons. Um, this is uh, Oakland, Berkeley. I, I teach at Cal. I have lived in Oakland for many years and I'm, I've lived in the Bay Area most of my life. It's uh, an environment that I think uh, is very unusual for the rest of the country. And I don't, I don't feel like a lot of people are really talking about it or writing about it. So I was interested in exploring the environs. A lot of people, I think, too, also looks at California as a, a template, a model, like whatever we're doing here in California must be how you need to do it. So when I looked at this marriage, I felt all the, in your novel, I felt little wars between the husband and the wife, tiny wars that were quiet. Like They would say one thing, like, what are you going to do about it? This is not my problem, the wife says to the husband. And then he walks out the room, and it's just like tiny, bitty, bitty wars that are happening between them. Did you, was that intentional? or? Well, we start there, and then, of course, when you have a big catalyst, like somebody like Amber arriving on your doorstep, that becomes... Uh, th- then those tiny wars become much larger, and and the book really starts looking at what it's like when everything falls apart within a marriage, and you have to then start beginning to you start you have to start looking at those things that you've essentially swept under the rug for years and years and years, like this potential or maybe child. And you know what? I really like this character Amber. I like her chain smoking, on the phone, still searching for dysfunctional love the way we would think dysfunctional love. 
and her sort of raw, basic attitude, like this is what it is, and I'm not moving until we deal with this. I'm not going away. Like when they were sort of discussing sending her back, and she made it real clear to her maybe father, my mother has done enough for me. I am your problem now. I'm your problem now. Amber was such a wonderful surprise for me as a writer because um, like my uh, primary characters, I began the book with some biases against her. And she uh, took over. She won me over. And I think she's a really interesting person um, who really, uh, somebody called her a foil uh, in other words, she does really make each one of the other characters in the book look at themselves and and grow. Well, you know, she also is symbolic to me of uh, people who are homeless, foster children, people of color. She sort of embodies in her all the things we want to close off, shut down, pull the shades, and then we try to, you know, throw a quarter, uh, hand out a meal, and do all the things we think. Is right except to look at the truth of what's happening. And when I traced the character back, he had uh, the woman he had Amber with, uh, had several relationships with people. He was a so-called good guy, and he decided he would sort of take responsibility without really taking responsibility, like throw money. So Amber is symbolic of a lot of the folks in America who is on the edge that have been economically, socially, emotionally ignored, and her son is eyes wide open. Very good read. Thank you. So (laughs) as we, why don't you let everyone know where you'll be uh, reading and where they can see you and where they can, if they would like to continue reading this story, uh, get the book. Where will we be next? Sure. I have two appearances coming up. The March 22nd, which is next Thursday, I will be at A Great Good Place for Books in Montclair, Oakland, in the Oakland Hills. Mm-hmm. And on April 14th, I will be at uh, Laurel Bookstore on MacArthur in the Laurel District in Oakland. And you can also get my entire event schedule, find out more about the book, hear interviews with me, look at a map of Uh, all of the locations in The Edge of Maybe at the website, which is theedgeofmaybe.com. I want to thank you for being my guest today, and thank you for bringing foster care folks, all kind of people who are on the edge, disfranchised in this one character inside of California where everything is green, people are recycling, people are nice, and bringing her her full figure to plump down on on America's couch. Thank you. Thank you, Javon. Yes. And we're going to take a music break, and we're going to have our next guest, a visual artist, uh, and to continue enjoying looking for emotional intelligence and human consciousness. to cover to cover open book Javelin's Bistro my second guest is Susan Leroff 
She's a visual artist and an advocate for artists. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. <laughs> so, Susan, this your work also takes place in the Lower District, where Erica will be. Her work is where I discovered her actually at the Lower Bookstore, and you and I. Of course, I discovered you prior to discovering your visual art, but you also are hanging art at. Um, something that's close to me, and that is 4148 MacArthur. So for my listeners, do take a pen and paper and write this down, because this is where we'll see Susan's work that she'll talk about. And also, I will be there tonight with Jobless Bistro for some of you who have not gotten enough of this conversation and want to do more and want to continue seeking emotional intelligence and human consciousness. I will be at 8 o'clock at, at the Bistro at 4148 MacArthur. So Susan, what's going on? in the visual world of artists? Well, there's a lot of visuals going on that are um, happening in the Bay Area that um, the Laurel Artworks, which is um, a gallery that we started in this multi-use space that you spoke of, Mm -hmm. uh, where we're trying to hang the work of a lot of local artists in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. so that the neighborhood gets the feel of art and culture mm-hmm. that just brings life that brings life art emotional intelligence does it bring that uh, well uh, we hope so human consciousness does it bring we, that we sure hope so i'm in search of it we no. are all, all, all the artists that we're we're hanging we pray um not just my work but yes. um many of our works are bringing emotional cultural Yes. All kinds of intelligence that we're just it's the not new, feeling. It's the new renaissance. That's what I keep hearing. Art. That we're in the in middle the of a twi- new renaissance. In the 21st century. 21st century. Something's happening. Is it April that you're working with right now? That's going to be... Well, we're doing in April, April 14th. We do receptions the second Saturday of every month. Okay. And April is tax month. And okay. we all either love it or hate it. Right. But... We are hanging political art political in April, art. on April 14th from two to, f- well, we was leaving it up for a month, but the reception where people can for sure get in in the afternoon is April 14th. So how do you define political art in the 21st century? Well, you know, art is a lot of things. It's okay. pretty pictures. It's um, a lot of my own personal work. Okay. It's very digital. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it's the tools that have driven art revolutions. And right now, the tools are digital. And it's bringing art ability into people who haven't necessarily been able to draw or paint, but they have access to tools on computers that can bring all kinds of visuals that could not have been done earlier. So it's like a way of people speaking, people making art. Uh, I have never heard of it like that. Tools drive you say that again. Tools have driven art revolutions. Tools have driven art revolutions. For example, that's like a bumper sticker. Well, the, the the impressionists were able to bring a revolution about because paint got shoved into tubes and they could take it outside, and it was no longer necessary after that to do really perfectly visual stuff because 
photography got invented, so abstraction was created. And so it's been technology that has driven art forms. And now, in the 21st century, we've got computers that make art possible in ways that were never possible before. So it's not just about pretty pictures anymore. <laughs> and so for me personally, I've got, I mean, I've been scribbling on walls since I was a baby. But now I can take save photos that I do with my iPhone at an Occupy demonstration and incorporate that into my digital abstract imagery and make compositions that are like nothing that could have been done 30, 40 years ago. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay, that's big. That's big for me who lives... I live inside myself as a writer, and so the visual world has always been uh, a, a struggle, and now you are actually in language making it more real for me. So if you can give us a snapshot, if you will, via the the airwaves of what one of your uh, uh, artworks looks like, like when you went to maybe one of the Occupy uh, camps and took a picture, what was the picture of and what did you do later with that from your cell phone? Well, I would take a whole bunch of pictures of, say, the signs or the faces of the people yeah. in the in the demonstrations. Then I would come home and merge all these into what might be called a collage, which we've seen before. Okay. But then I would layer abstract digital imagery in front and back and front and back and this is talking about visuals with words that's yes, kind of hard okay. to do well it's radio I, I think, but you, and you're I doing a wonderful come you're doing, see the shows you, well, of course that's going to encourage um, them like Hansel and Gressel with little bread you're bringing them to the show so they can see this well yes. and and it's a challenge for me which you know I'm really drawn to making art but after I go to these events and I want somehow to have what comes home with me inside about the feelings of the things that I've seen and the other people that I've been with, you know, creating, trying to create change, what do I do with that? I don't just want to go to another demonstration. Right. So me personally, since art is my form, I try to do visuals so that the the messages and the the emotions that I got from these events that I go to get translated into a visual that can be, it could be sent out as an email, it could be carried on as a postcard, it could be, you know, put up on a wall in a, in a 38 inch, 40 inch canvas print, which by the way, I'm part of. Yeah, um, a, a fabulous group of artists at Berkeley City College doing multimedia art, and it's just an incredible program. That's a that, that I mean, the art that's coming out of Berkeley City College is like nothing seen before. It's so amazing. it's the new it's the the new Renaissance taking technology and right making here it work in Berkeley. in Berkeley, probably across the world in many different ways. But you happen to be right here in Berkeley and in the Laurel District. What when is the show coming up? The show that's that's um coming up is April fourteenth. It's April gonna be 14th. a political art show. It's gonna be up for a month. Yes. And the 
space is a multi-use space. It so is. you basically have to come to the reception on April 14th to see the work. But there's signs on the windows with emails and phone numbers if we can make special arrangements if, say, um, a group wants to come see the show at a different time. Right. So there are other options for the space, but they need to be by special and in, the, invite. Right, and the space itself, again, is 4148 MacArthur Boulevard, and actually Erica's going to be reading that same day, like a couple blocks away at the Law Bookstore. We have um, a Facebook page. Yes. Um, called Laurel Artworks. Laurel Artworks, okay. It will announce the next show. Okay. It will mention, again, the address. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh, and so I was touching you because you was drumming, and I could hear the drums in my earphones. So I was touching you, not just because I'm flirting with you, but because <laughs> I could hear the drums. <laughs> and so... So April 14th, what time? 2 to 5 in the afternoon. And then an hour later, you can go down to the Laurel Bookstore. Ah. And the, the, okay, so the Laurel Bookstore, so we can probably, people can probably find that on the, what, what the technology, they'll find it. Yes. They'll, yeah, they'll find that as well. And we'll try to find the address. So now, what, How did you start with the arts in your own personal life? I know you said you were drawing on the walls growing up. I I started sketching, drawing, doing animation as a kid. Okay. Um, But I really personally got involved with um, outdoor sketching, and, and I have a lot of artwork that's Oakland-based, and I did watercolors. And then when I started to incorporate digital imagery, I would take my watercolors and I would scan them and I would merge in little bits of photo imagery. And one of the first pieces I did was a a watercolor at the Grand Lake Theater, and then I took the marquee at the Grand Lake Theater photographically and merged that into the painting, which happens to be hanging over the counter at the Laurel Bookstore, (laughs) where the reading is going to be. The reading is. And, you know, I went in there for the first time, the Laurel Bookstore. Actually, just the area, it's like a small town in Oakland where I'm finding all these incredible, beautiful, artists and people and I love I mean we hear the word community and I've lived in several places in the United States but this really feels like effort and love has gone into the Lord District so I've been here 10 years in the Bay Area and this is the first time I've walked into a space where it actually felt like a small town and so the address actually to the bookstore is 4100 MacArthur Boulevard. It's on the corner of yes, the Yes, on block. the corner. On the corner. And it's right there. And it's very wonderful. And so for visual artists and, and you know, to think about them becoming activists in this renaissance, how might you guide folks to first, like, come to the show to see the kind of power that can happen hanging on the walls and and meet the people who are responsible? Like, who are some of the artists that's going to display their work? Well, that's a good question, because I don't have the names in my head right okay, now. Okay. We will post. We're still taking in 
um, works for next month. Ah. So if people contact us either through the Facebook page or yes. um, the address, the email address. Give that um, again to them because they're yeah. probably running out of pen and paper. If you don't, go quickly now. And what is the address, the website so they can get hold of? Laurel Artworks. Laurel. It's on Facebook. It's on Just Facebook. type in Laurel Artworks. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> because I, it, the, the details in my head right now, I You're should not. have something in front of me. It's okay, love. Yeah, but um, the the thing I want to the question mm-hmm. about how to get involved is that it's really hard to be an artist alone in the world right now. There are so many organizations and groups. There's pro arts. There's the Laurel Artworks. Yeah. There's the Digital Arts Club at Berkeley City College. Yeah. There's other groups and, and associations and none of the artists that we have heard of who are famous in the 19th century and that's the whole point of what we're doing is just finding those artists as we close up I want to thank you I want to thank my guest Erica Hernav. I want to thank you Susan and I want to invite the listening audience if you want more of discovering with me emotional intelligence and human consciousness I'll see you tonight at 4148 MacArthur at Javelin's Bistro Open book cover to cover. See you in three weeks. biannual quilt show voices in cloth 2012 to be held march 17th through 18th at craneway pavilion on the richmond waterfront this benefit for ebhq will feature over 200 spectacular quilts wearable art and quilts made by children as well as demonstrations of quilting skills there will be a special exhibit featuring ancestral memory by the african-american quilt guild of oakland there will be vendors a silent auction and door prizes Two winners of Opportunity Quilts will be chosen. That's Saturday, March 17th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And Sunday, March 18th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Two-day admission, $12 for adults, $3 for children 5 to 12, free for children under 5. For details, call 510-233-6771. Hope to see you there.